Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we worship you. And there is nothing better that our hearts can say than holy, 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 and worthy is the Lamb. And Father, we know that because in your word, in the book of Revelation, as we see a picture into heaven, that's what they're singing there. So what an excellent song. One that gets us doing what we will be doing in heaven forever. Gets us singing now what we will be singing then. Father, it was about you. It was about you and what you're like and how great you are. And Father, we ask now that over the next few minutes that you would move our hearts deeper into that position, that you are a holy and worthy Lord God and Savior. Father, we ask your blessing on our time here. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I'm going to ask you today to turn to two different places in the Bible. Turn to Mark 16, where we're supposed to be and where we were last week, and also turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now, Mark 16, you could probably find 2 Timothy, if you're using a pew Bible there, that's the black Bibles in the pew, it's page 1096. Today's going to be a little bit different. You're going to learn a little bit today. I want to teach you a little bit about the Bible and how we got it and what inspiration is and what the Holy Scriptures are, I want to teach you something. Some of you may have been paying close attention already and you may have noticed just from reading in your Bible what we're doing today, but some of you may have no idea and you're going to get uh, to learn a little bit today. You know, there's a lot of ways that we're kind of frustrated that we all have cell phones now and they are distracting and they draw so much of our attention. There's also a lot of really, really, really good things about having these phones. The other day I realized that my phone had too many pictures in it. That's not a bad thing. It might slow your phone down a little bit. So I, I took some time to just sit there and I went through, I think it was like 2,000 or something. <laughs> and I went through every picture. And most of them weren't any good and so you just... Click it, select, 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 until I had a couple hundred selected, and I just deleted them and cleared up a little space on my phone. But while I was doing that, you know what I found? I found pictures of when, like, Noah was born. That was in 2010. I found pictures of Carolina when she was a little baby and I was playing with her. I found pictures from a long time ago. I found some videos on there too. There were only like 200 videos. <laughs> but I found, I found some really, really good videos. You know, the social media is also really good for that. It kind of keeps it for you like a diary. You can go back in Facebook or, or Instagram or something like that and just scroll way back to years ago and find all of this gold, if you will, of family life and pictures and things of that sort. My dad's father passed away a couple years ago. 
but I recently found a picture that had my dad's father, my dad, me, and then my sons. Four generations right there. And I had, I had forgotten about that picture. It's a really nice picture to me, and it means a lot. We don't all have the same name. My dad is a junior, then I'm named something else, and now JJ is a junior, Joshua Jr. But those things have a lot of depth and meaning to me. And were it not for me keeping them in my phone, you know, then, or, 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 or on social media or something like that, then I, I, would not, I would not be recalling them as well as I should or as I would like to. To take it a little bit further, the other day I, I found out that my, my voicemails on my phone was full. I'm sure you've called somebody before and they say, sorry, this person can't take any messages right now. You know, sometimes that's a good thing. But... Uh, Sometimes your voicemails can get full, and now you can go back through there and check those, and what, what are those, and delete some of those and free up some more space. You know what? I found some on there that are they're from my dad, three, four, five, six, seven years ago, of my dad's messages to me. Hey, Josh, don't know where you're at, but you better turn the TV on. There's 10 seconds left in the game, and they're down by one. You better get there. All right, I'll talk to you later messages like that and I've got those saved on my phone and it's really cool to pull those up and I would imagine that if I can keep holding on to them that down the road they're going to be even more valuable in years to come but y'all know what I'm getting at there are some things that if you can hold on to them they enhance your ability to know and remember and understand so much Hey, it's one thing to say, man, when I, when I was a kid, it used to be like this. But nobody knows how much you're exaggerating. Nobody knows if that's true. Just this past week with all that snow, we were, we were shoveling driveways. And y'all know the kids got out of school three days, and we were shoveling driveways. And John Law was shoveling with me, and John said, man, I can't believe these kids are out of school. Back in my day, man, we walked to school when it was this snowy. And I laughed. I said, John, you just graduated a few years ago, man. <laughs> Depending on how well you preserve that, the more you can know it, feel it, experience it, and get it. Well, you and I know that rather loosely, right? You've held on to some pictures and, and some memories. But folks, listen to me. God knows that precisely and God did what is the most ultimate glorious wise thing one could do God didn't just tell somebody something and say make sure it gets passed on God told people something inspired them by his power to write it down and God is seeing fit that that written word would be preserved. God has written down everything he wants us to know. We've been in the Gospel of Mark for a long time, and we finally, finally come to the end, chapter 16. 
And last week, we looked at the resurrection of Jesus. He had been crucified, buried in the grave, and on the third day, he was alive. He was risen. The stone had been rolled away. The ladies went there to anoint the body. They found the stone rolled away. They peeked inside. There was an angel there, and the angel said, he is not here. He has risen. Hallelujah. Go to Galilee. Tell the disciples, and he will meet you there. Death, sin, everything had been overcome. Christ is alive and well. He is truly the Savior of the world. And we stopped at verse 8 last week. And I intentionally didn't tell y'all last week that that's the end. But that's what I want to explain today. In your Bible, in Mark chapter 16, it goes until verse 20. If you look down there at Mark, there is Mark 16, 9 through 20. But I want y'all to hear from me today that I'm not going to preach it. And I don't think that it is actually the Word of God. The holy, inspired Word of God. I want to say up front that I really don't have a problem with anything in Mark 16, 9 through 20. It's not at all whether it's good or bad. That's not the point. The point is that I don't think it's original word of God. If you look in your Bible, there may be a footnote there. Mine has, after verse 8, a little uh, uh, brackets that says, Some of the earliest manuscripts do not include 16, 9 through 20. But then it goes on and it gives this 9 through 20. But it, it tells us that the earliest don't. See, See, here's the situation, folks. We don't have any of the original pieces of the Bible, like the very first ones. We don't have, we don't have uh, the one that Mark wrote down right here. We don't have the one that Paul wrote down to the Corinthian church. We don't have the absolute originals. And back then, they didn't have the printing press. Everything had to be hand copied down. But we do, listen to me, we do have roughly 5,000 really good pieces, translations. Some are really full, some are just little snippets, some are a couple paragraphs, some are a chapter, some are a whole book, some are the whole New Testament, we have about 5,000. And the earliest ones go all the way back to about 135 A.D. Well, our apostles were living in the first century, but the most furthest back copies we have were in the second century, all right? So when we translate the Word of God to get it to us, we're piecing together lots of different pieces, but we're also examining which ones go together, which ones are accurate, which ones aren't. And I want you to know that when we stand up here boldly and say this is the Word of God, it's not like there's a 2,000-year jump and all of a sudden I'm like, yeah, I think this is the best and y'all should believe it. I want to remind you all that all the way from the first century to the second century to the third century and so forth all the way, God has been preserving this. If you go back and read church history, you have lots of people saying, this is the Word of God, this is the Word of God, that's not the Word of God. We have, listen to me, we have four letters that we know about that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians. But only two of them we call Holy Scripture, First and Second Corinthians, because that's the way God designed it. And they knew that then. There are other books out there that were written at the same time that are very good, they seem very accurate, but God did not inspire those to be the Word of God. And so... In Mark, this 9 through 20, if you go back to the earliest manuscripts we have, 9 through 20 is not there. It ends at verse 8. Now, 
For some of y'all that haven't thought about this before, you may be thinking, well, wow, that's pretty troubling. How do we really know which is which and all that? I want to show you, and I want to remind you or let you know, inform you, that in the whole Bible, all 66 books, Genesis to Malachi in the Old Testament, Matthew to Revelation in the New Testament, 39 Old Testament books, 27 New Testament books, in all of that, this little situation in Mark is really the toughest one. It's not common. There's not a lot of this. It's just this right here, Mark 16, 9 through 20. There is one other place, for those of you that care, it's John chapter 7, 53 to chapter 8, verse 11. Those 12 verses seem to be the same thing. They're not in the earliest. That's the story of the woman caught in adultery, he who is without sin cast the first stone. That story also is not there. See, those passages, the long ending of Mark and that one in John, are not found in the earliest manuscripts. It's not at all that they're teaching something bad. It's not at all that they're teaching something ridiculous. It's not at that. It's just they're not found in the earliest. I don't have any problem with somebody that loves the long ending of Mark. I don't have any problem with with somebody who has those verses memorized. What I'm pointing out is just they're not there in the earliest, and so it seems that they are not the inspired word of God. It's not that they're bad, they're just not there in the original. And I want us to be people who are very much so strongly believing with a full conviction that the word of God came from the mouth of God to people who wrote it down that God with his power, with his Holy Spirit through people preserved it. And just in the same way that I've got these pictures on my phone, I can keep holding on to them and keep holding on to them. I might send them to my computer and hold them on there just as I can do that, right? And when I pass away, my kids can hold on to them. And then they can pass them on to their kids. Just in the same way, that happened to the Word of God. People very, very, very carefully did that. Danny Aiken writes, And thus, Mark's gospel comes to an end and an abrupt one at that. It just ends there at verse 8, rather abruptly. Look how it ends. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And Mark's gospel ends like that. And a lot of people think, wow, it looks like it just got cut off there. I think it did. I think it did on purpose. Danny Aiken goes on to say, verses 9 to 20 are not found in the oldest and most reliable manuscripts, Mark's sudden ending is what Mark wanted. It makes clear that the disciples were stunned by all of this. They were stunned by the empty tomb and the angel's appearance. They did not expect the resurrection. They did not know how to respond now that Jesus was alive. And so the Bible leaves us asking, how will they respond to all of this? And then it wants us to ask, how will we respond to all of this? Now, Matthew and Luke and John give a lot more attention to it, but as I told you in the early days of us in Mark, Mark's gospel is very different from Matthew, Mark, from Matthew, Luke, and John. Mark wanted to get it out there quickly. Mark often talks less about most subjects. He wrote very quickly. He was in a hurry, and Mark just wanted to get it out there. For that reason, we believe that Mark's gospel was the first of the four written. But I think it ended at verse 8. With that said... I want us now to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I want today to be the ending of our study in Mark without us really even looking to Mark, except for that that we just did. And I want to 
today's message to be one that is on the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3. You have Paul writing to the young Timothy. By now, many of you are familiar with this. Paul is aging And he has found a young man, Timothy, that he's mentoring in many ways, if you will. He's going to pass the baton to him. He is passing off the ministry to him. Paul is in prison and going to die. He's writing to young Timothy. He has been discipling Timothy. Timothy is going to be this newer, younger pastor that is going to lead uh, so much of the ministry. And he writes 1 Timothy, and then he writes 2 Timothy. And for those of us that are in the ministry, these books are, are absolute golden, 2 Timothy chapter 3, we'll start reading in verse 10. He says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, look at this, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. What I want to preach to you today are the next two verses, 16 and 17. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The reason why I'm taking the ending of Mark so seriously, the reason why I didn't breeze through this with you all and act like, well, it's not that big of a deal, is because there is something called the inspired word of God. There is a lot of wisdom out there. There's a lot of good advice out there. There are so many good teachers and parents and books and motivational speakers. There are so many good memes out there on the Internet that might inspire you each morning But those are not exactly the breath out of the mouth of God. The Word of God is something entirely different and bigger, something better, something stronger, something more powerful. The Word of God is what God has given us that it would be, listen to me, that it would be what we live by. That it would be the very thing that sustains us. That it would be food for our souls. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is pointing that out to young Timothy. I want to give you three points today. Number one, the scriptures are from God. The scriptures are from God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16, he says, All scripture is breathed out by God. Just the other day, it was so cold outside. I think one day we had a high of five degrees. The heat in my car hasn't been working. Me and the boys were driving around. I just turned over and did like this to them. And you could see my breath coming out. 
I don't know if the boys had ever seen that before, that you could see your breath when it's cold enough. The Bible is teaching us, listen to me, that the scriptures are the breath of God. They are God speaking to us. And the Bible has a category here, the Apostle Paul has a category here, where he says all scripture, which means he's referring to some writings and he's not referring to some writings. And that becomes a great study throughout the history of the world of which is scripture and which is not scripture. That's why I took the time to point out to you that Mark is scripture, but it doesn't seem like 9 through 20 is because it's not there in the earliest manuscripts. It was added in later. Folks, the scriptures are from God. You remember in the beginning of the Bible, the Bible would say that Adam and Eve were there and God came and spoke to them. And we don't really know exactly what that was like, but that was some sort of an audible thing. God came and just talked to them. And then you have something similar to that as history goes on when you have like Moses and God's just talking to him. But do you remember in Exodus chapter 20 and God calls Moses up on Mount Sinai and God then gave Moses his law written down. Do you remember that? From that point on, listen to me, nobody had to wonder or not, well, does God think that's wrong or does God not think that's wrong? I'm not really sure if God thinks that wrong. What, what does God say about that? For Moses had it written down, and when Moses came down off the mountain, he brought with him the written down law of God. And from that moment on to the history of the world, and matter of fact, you can still go a lot of places today and still find the Ten Commandments hanging on the wall. You have known what God says is wrong to do, right? God gave it to us. It's been written down and it's been preserved for a long time. The scriptures are from God. In the New Testament, you'll have Jesus quote something and say, well, Moses said that. You'll have somebody quote something and say, well, Isaiah said that. They are believing that what God did then is now scriptures for us. Listen to this. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, Peter writes, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's Peter explaining to us in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, what scripture is. These are, guys, these are not guys just writing whatever they think. We have guys writing whatever they think, but we don't call that Scripture. But when God's Holy Spirit was working in them and God was preserving it to be the actual authoritative Word of God for us, the Holy Spirit caused them to carry them along to produce the Holy Word of God. What I'm saying is there are a lot of things that John did that aren't Scripture. But the part that the Holy Spirit worked in, inspired, that God preserved to be the Word of God, is the Word of God. The Scriptures are from God. Now, over the years, I've had so many conversations with parents about their children. I've got a heart for young people. I've got a, uh, I've got a heart for teenagers. I want to see them grow into be men and women of God. And over the years, I've had so many conversations and I think they got it from Oprah. I don't know where they got it. But I've heard so many moms or so many dads say something like, well, you know, I, I'm really wanting them to do well. I'm, I'm focusing on them doing their homework. And I'm really trying to, to teach them a lot. But when, but when it comes to God, I'm really wanting them to just grow up and, and figure it out on their own. I want them to, to grow up and, and make their own choices and see which direction they go when it comes to God. 
You've heard that, haven't you? Perhaps you're here today and you've even said that. Folks, I get that with well intention, but that's so wrong. You don't do that with anything else. You're not doing that with your kid's work ethic, are you? Are they allowed to lay around on the couch all day long and never do any chores? I sure hope not. You speak strongly into that. Are they allowed to do that with their attitude? Do you allow them to have whatever attitude they want? I doubt it. You speak strongly into that. Folks, more important than their work ethic and more important than their attitude is what they understand about God. Let me say this. You have no greater responsibility than for your kids to understand God. And God has given us his word so that it would be so simple for adults with younger people to teach that to them. Every time I sit down at my house, there's five kids to choose from, but every time I sit down at my house, some kid will come to me and say, can you read to me? Sometimes it may be a sports book. Sometimes it may be a Dora the Explorer. Sometimes it may be a Peppa the Pig. Sometimes it may be a Bible. But my kids are always asking us to read to them. I watched Val sit yesterday for an hour straight and read out loud the Huckleberry Finn story to our boys. Y'all, kids are wanting us to teach them. And God gave us a book that explains everything to us that we can know about him. You don't let work ethics and you don't let attitudes go. Listen to me. Don't let it go with what your kids think and understand about God. You will learn right away that if you let them do whatever they want or think whatever they want, they will end up absolutely all over the place, y'all. Oh, we, we, we are flawed, and the devil is real, and it's a big world out there, and I want us absolutely to embrace it, but what I'm saying to you is there is a truth out there that God gave us his scriptures, and we are to be looking into those. May we be the people that say, God has spoken. And I want everybody that knows me to know it. There are a lot of kids in our church. One of these snow days, I found probably 15 kids and asked them if they'd just get together and play just the other day. There are a lot of kids around here. Sometimes it seems like more than we can handle. Kids, listen to me. This book is the word of God. And God has spoken. And he wants us to know him. God's got a message for us, and I know you love to read messages. My kids love it if I'm in the car and a text message comes through and they say, oh, oh, can I see what it says? Folks, we've got to show them what he says. This is the scriptures from God that he inspired for us to know. Number two, the scriptures are from God. Number two, the scriptures are for us. Think about this. God didn't do it because one day he wanted to get back in his collection and remember all the things that he had forgotten. He's not like us. He doesn't need the photo album so that he can look back from years ago and remember what grandpa was like. God's not like that. God wrote the scriptures so that you and I in the history of the world would have them forever. 
so that like the Psalms teach us, so that generation after generation after generation after generation would not be scattered looking all over the place. So that generation after generation after generation would be doing the same thing. Here's what I grew up learning. Here's what I want you to grow up learning. Here's how I know God. Here's how you can know God. Here's how I know what life's about. Here's how you can know what life's about. The scriptures are for us. Look what it says. Go back to 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God and it is profitable for us. For teaching us, for reproofing us, for correcting us, for training us in righteousness. God knows that we all need that. Every man here needs some of that in their life. Every woman needs some of that in their life. All of the children need, need that in their lives. And the word of God is for us. Folks, we are better off when we start looking to the word of God. You are wiser when you start looking to the word of God. You are more sensible when you start looking to the word of God. Your understanding is exponentially so much greater when you start looking to the word of God. It's comical to see how many people in the world are trying to take the principal teachings of God and have them without God. What they need is God, but they're using so much of it, right? You can walk through the mall and hear people try to live lives based off the golden rule. You know who invented and created and stated and quoted the golden rule? The Lord Jesus Christ. It is the wisdom of God that you should do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You know who said that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive? You can find that in any department store during the holidays. You know who said that? The Lord Jesus Christ. And people love what he teaches, right? That's why our people are so proud to say, oh, yeah, he's a good teacher. I'm just trying to live the Christian life. I had a leader in our community tell me, it's been several years, I had a leader in our community tell me that he's not a Christian. He just tries to live by Jesus' teaching. That exact quote came out of his mouth. Folks, listen to me. The word of God is written down for us, for our good. Go back up one verse to verse 15. He says, or verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood, listen to this, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You know why this is so important? Not so much that you'll be humble or that you'll work hard, but so that you'll know God. And here's the truth, folks. You don't know God until you know God. You don't come to know God until you realize, I don't know God. When the Bible says there that it's the scriptures that will make you wise for salvation, here's what the Bible is teaching us. Until you've come to know God through the scriptures, you've not come to know God. Until you've come to know the truth of what God has said, you've not come to know God. Our conscience is bearing witness to us, folks, that we are guilty before God. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we need redemption. We need to be brought back into a relationship with God. We need to be forgiven of our sins. But the Bible tells us that's not found in working harder. That's not found in doing better. That's not found in making a statement and then never messing up again. The Bible teaches us that is found in the great love of God who sent his son Jesus to die in our place, who when all looked dead and gone and dark and bleak, God raised him up. That's what Mark 16 was about. He's alive now. And anybody, anywhere, in prison, in the streets, messed up, on drugs, sad, depressed, anxiety, or whatever, anybody that says, I need you, God. 
I've sinned against you, God. Life is not right because I don't have you. Anybody that cries out to God and says, God, will you forgive me of my sins? I'm trusting in Christ alone. The Bible says they have become wise for salvation. The Bible says God will save their soul. They will be right with God. And Paul points out to Timothy that that's what he's been growing in for years. His mother and grandmother, Lois and Eunice, taught him that. And so now he has become wise for salvation. Folks, if you know anybody in your life that you don't want to go to hell, get them reading the Word of God. If you know anybody in your life that you want to go to heaven, get them reading the Word of God. If they don't like to read, get them here where they can hear the Word of God. If they don't like to come here, get them a CD where they can hear the Word of God. But if you care about their soul, that they would be made wise unto salvation, that they would trust in Christ and be forgiven of their sins, get them to this book. This is the Word of God, and God gave it to us, and it is for us. We are so wrong when we're halfway right. And here's what I mean. It's become so common in small-town America, in good old communities, for us to just kind of be okay with another good Christian guy. Because they're honest, because they'll bring in the trash can for their neighbor when it looks like they haven't grabbed it, or when if somebody's begging at the street corner, they'll give them a couple bucks, or, or, or that type of stuff. Y'all, that's good. That comes from Christianity. But that's not Christianity. Christianity is when you've bowed your knee to God and said, God, I need you. Will you forgive me of my sins? Christ is the Lord of all creation, and I want to know him. The Bible teaches us that. We've got to make sure that we are Christians who understand the word of God. What happens all over the place, and I don't want to, I don't want to get too harsh here today, but what happens all over the place is we've got people who think they're Christian, they don't know anything about the Word of God, and they're not sure why so much of their lives and their family lives and their community's lives and everybody around them lives look non-Christian. Well, I thought we were Christians. But they don't know anything about the Word of God. They haven't looked to the Word of God. They don't know what God says about this. They don't know what God says about that. And so next thing you know, we're baffled at thinking we're Christian, but we don't seem to be Christian. There's inconsistencies all over the place. The reason why, we've abandoned this. There's people out there, folks, who've been saying they're Christians for 20 years. Y'all couldn't find 2 Timothy today. If I asked you to quote one verse, you wouldn't. If somebody asked you to pray, you wouldn't. What makes you think you're Christian? I'm not saying you're not. I'm saying what makes you think you are? Y'all, God wrote his book for us. It's good for us. We need it. We had all these snow days, and at my house, the kids have gotten into Monopoly, and they're asking me to play Monopoly all the time, and we've been playing Monopoly. When you start playing Monopoly, that's a hard game, big game, lots, lots going on there. Some questions come up, like, if you're in jail, do you get to still collect rent? Or when you land on go, do you get your 200 for pass and go? Or is it not till you pass go? And these are things you've got to sort out. And so how do you sort it out? 
And let me check the rule book, right? And if you don't check the rule book, guess what? If I need the $200, I'll say, no, when you're on it, I get it. You don't need to read the rule book. I know what it says, right? And, and vice versa. You can kind of push it whichever direction you want to go. But there's an answer to it, isn't there? Well, wait a second. Let me read what it says. Folks, God wants us to get that about life. It's so glaringly obvious how much the world is hurting. People around us all over the place. But God has written his book for us. Paul writes in Romans 15 verse 4, listen to this. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Did you hear that? What was written before was written for us. This is what he's writing in Romans 15. That through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Listen to me. Every one of us right now can think of so many people that are without hope. You know what also they're without? Haven't read it, haven't thought about it, haven't looked to it, haven't learned it. The Word of God is what God gave to us so that we would know Him. Number one, the Scriptures are from God. Number two, the Scriptures are for us. And then number three, lastly, the Scriptures are effective. They work. Look what it says there at the end of 2 Timothy 3. All Scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Do you realize that when you start getting into the Word of God, Maybe you started attended Sunday school. Maybe you've just amped your commitment to be here every Sunday. Maybe you're trying to read the Bible at home now. Maybe you're coming to Wednesday night Bible studies. Maybe you're coming to midweek Bible studies. Maybe you've found a group of guys and said, hey, can y'all meet on Friday mornings? I don't know what it is, but when you start getting into the Word of God, do you realize that it's going to work on you? That it is going to start changing you? Do you realize that the Bible says right here that it will make the man or woman of God it will make them complete. How many people we know who say, just something, just something missing. I, I just don't get life. I'm still, I'm still looking for that thing. The Bible teaches us that it will be the very word of God that will complete you, that will give you understanding, that will go to work in you. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, listen to this. The word of God is active and living, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and listen, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What does that? The word of God does. The word of God will get so deep down inside of you, and it is so sharp like a two-edged sword, that it will start to cut up your intentions. It'll start to deal with what you're feeling on the inside, why you're thinking what you're thinking on the inside. It will go to work on you. And you know what it will do? Instead of beating you down, it will lead you to repentance in Christ and build you up with mercy and love and forgiveness. It will not leave you beat down. It will lead you to recognize there is something wrong in me, my sins, 
but there is a love greater than my sins. It will lead you from realizing that you're wrong, but leading you to realizing that you're accepted in the love of God. This is what the scriptures do. The whole point of the Bible is to lead us to see Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us and yet being the Savior of the world. The whole point of the Bible is for us to see how much God loves us and then run to him trusting in him. We don't do that until we've come to understanding. In Isaiah chapter 55 verse 11, it says this, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. God speaking about it. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Y'all, the word of God is powerful. And it is effective. And it works. We are foolish if we've been neglecting it. To be blunt, we are wrong if we've been neglecting it. We need to recommit ourselves to be people who are people of the book. Y'all seen those commercials on TV where uh, it's a Snickers commercial and, and they say that if you haven't eaten, you're not yourself. You're not yourself when you're hungry is what they say and they, they got you acting like some scowl face or some grumpy person or some whiny person or something like that and then they have you eat a Snickers and you satisfy your hunger and you're back to normal. Have you seen that? Here's what they're saying. You aren't yourself when you're hungry. Y'all, after Jesus is in the wilderness, he'd been fasting 40 days and the Bible makes one of the greatest understatements. It says when he had finished fasting, he was hungry. And the devil comes along and asks him to buy into the devil's plans. And he tempts the Lord Jesus three times. And every time he tempted the Lord Jesus with something awesome, Jesus would quote the scriptures. Say, I can't do it. He would quote the scriptures and say, I can't do it. He'd say, you're hungry. Why don't you make these stones into bread? I know that you can do it. You've got the power to do that. Why don't you make these stones into bread and then you can eat them? And then you won't be so hungry. Jesus said, nah, you don't test God. And he quoted some passage in Deuteronomy. He said, I'm not going to do that. Three times the devil tried to get Jesus with something seemingly reasonable for the Lord Jesus to do. And every time Jesus would quote the word of God and say, I'm not going to do it, Satan. The Bible says that Satan left him. You know what the Bible says after that? Man doesn't live by bread alone. Man lives by every word that's out of the mouth of God. You know what's happening in the world today? You know what's happening in your world today? You're so hungry. And you're not yourself when you're hungry. Snickers is exactly right. You want to see me being a bad husband and being a bad father and being a bad pastor and being a bad neighbor? You find me when my mind's far from this. You find me when I've not been thinking about it, when I've not been reading it. I'm not myself when I'm hungry. 
You're not yourself when you're hungry. Listen to me. Our souls are hungry for the truth of God. They are hungry to know what he's like. They're hungry to understand this super complex life, y'all. Let's be honest. Life is so hard. I had a young college student this week send me a message that said, I just want you to know that I do still love Jesus. I know that probably everybody thinks I don't anymore. But I want you to know that I do. I wrote back and I said, nobody thinks you don't. What I think is that life is hard. And you're feeling it right now. Y'all, life is hard. And our souls are hungry. And this is the food we need. The scriptures are from God. The scriptures are for us. And the scriptures are effective. The next time you're in your phone or on social media or just looking through a photo album... And you think, wow, I had forgotten about that, man. The next time Val pulls out our wedding pictures and I look so scrawny. The next time you pull out the old pictures or the old stories or whatever it is. And you think, wow, I had forgotten about that. Be reminded. God's left you his message. God's written you a story. God gave us a book. And may we not be so foolish to neglect it. May we be people, whatever age you are, kids, teenagers, college student, young married, or maybe you're an elderly person here that's never really dug in. Let's be people of the word of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the scriptures. Thank you, God, that we're not wondering what you're like or what you've said. You've taught us. But Father, we confess here today that if we've not looked to your word, then we may not know. We may not know what you're like. Father, we pray today that you would move in our hearts and you would draw us to desiring Jesus. And Father, we would commit ourselves to your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.